Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash new music industry. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today, I'm chatting with founder of Cyber PR, Ariel Hyatt. How are you today, Ariel? I'm fantastic. Great. Uh, glad we could finally talk and have you on the show. Now, I've been blogging about the music industry since 2007, but in 2012, I invested in a music industry startup and ended up creating a position for myself as a blogger and digital marketer for the company. And that's when I started taking it more seriously. And in those days, it was people like you and Derek Sivers and Tom Hess and Andrew Dubber that provided me with a lot of inspiration. So thank you for being one of the giants whose shoulders I could stand on. My pleasure. Yeah. Those are all names that just brought me so much warm and fuzzy. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, I know. And I mean, Derek Sivers, I'm sure, is many people's favorite human being. He's just smart and knowledgeable and... What an incredible guy. Can't really say enough about him. Um, so you have a tremendous amount of experience in marketing and PR. What brought you to this point of helping musicians and music-related brands? I guess the real honest answer is my mother, who is an amazing career coach. And that's what she did my whole life and continues to do. Pointed out when I was pretty young that I had a knack for communication mm. and I started really young interning at a PR firm and realized that that was actually true. I did have a knack for communication, although even though that was my knack, I had a passion for art and that was my interest. And so I guess my whole career is, is a culmination of the thing that I'm really passionate about, which is art and not only music, but I, I love visual art and Mm -hmm. all, all types of art. And then, you know, getting to support artists with what I'm really good at, which is communication and simplifying things, I think is something that as, as a dyslexic, which is, is, is something that I have, you look at the world really differently because everything feels confusing, especially when you're young and you can't read and everybody else can, and you you don't see the world the way other people see it, you start filtering things in a way to make it easier for yourself to understand. Mm. And so I think part of, of why I'm good at what I do is I understand that artists don't see the world, especially the business world, the way that most people do. And so I've kind of made it my, my journey. Like if I could break down the world so that I could understand it, when it didn't make sense, I certainly could help other people do that. Wow, that's really cool. And a couple of things by way of comment. When I first got started, or really after I was born, the first thing I, I got into was not music, but rather art. And so I did a lot of arts and crafts and a lot of drawing and painting. And, and that was sort of my first expression of creativity, which later evolved into music and writing. But I think it's it's so common that uh, people in this space also have a huge appreciation for other types of art. And the other thing was what you said about dyslexia. You know, I had a backing singer 
in my group who was also dyslexic and without revealing too many details, but it was just one of many things she seemed to be afflicted by and, and struggling with at times. But, you know, she's still a great singer, which is why I worked with her. Yeah, it's um, a lot of people that have dyslexia have an excellent ear. Mm. Um, most, a lot of really famous artists like Carly Simon, James Taylor, you know, that they're dyslexic mm. and they learn, you know, they have this like perfect pitch and it's like, well, why is that? Well, it's because <laughs> they can't read. So it comes out in other ways. Right. It's almost like you're just compensating for what is, comes to you. doesn't come to you naturally. Right. Uh, and then instead using your ear or using your other senses to really fine tune what it is you're doing, doing. So I could see that. Uh, they would be better pitched than probably most amateurs. So I'm not sure who originally came up with this, but in the entrepreneurial space, we often say everything takes five years. So how long did it take for you and your company to get established in your space? And what was your experience like along the way? I had a really interesting and very cool thing happen. So I guess if we if we counted <laughs> the painful journey from getting out of university and getting into the music industry where you realize that you're just young and one of many many people trying to get your foot in the door. If we if we counted that as year 1, <laughs> um I think this is actually going to make a lot of sense. Let's see. So um my journey was struggled a lot trying to find work, found some really small unpaid internships, and then parlayed those into a job at a small record label, worked at the record label for a year. So that would be two years out of school. And then the third year I um, worked, I got a job at a concert promotions company. And I worked there for about probably two years, year and a half, two years. And then I started my own business. So I had some luck in that I was living in a small town at the time. I was living in Boulder, Colorado, which is a place that at the time, I mean, the music scene is 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 rich there, but the music industry is not. There was not a lot of people. There was like two record labels and, you know, a couple of music venues and that was it. So there wasn't a lot happening in the town. So it was very easy um, to get known pretty quickly. Hmm. So that was a huge benefit. So I was working at the only record label there, then one of the only concert promoters there. And then I, when I started my own business, very early on, I got a very amazing gig, which was I became the PR director for the Fox Theater, which is this fabulous music venue that's still there. And uh, so I would say that in a way my curve was a little shorter because I had this incredible venue, but you know, I don't have that story where all of a sudden I was working with one band that had a meteoric rise. I've had much more of a, a slow burn in my career, which I've, which has been interesting. And a lot of um, major label record industry types have said to me over and over, well, you know, you really just need a big star to attach your name to, and I, which is one way that you can look at success. And there are many people that have that. They worked with one particular person that is massively huge, and that's a great thing to rest your laurels on. I don't have that same experience, although I have worked with a lot of people, some very famous, many not. Um, that's not how I viewed my career. But I would say 
let's see, I started my business in 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, five years as an entrepreneur. I was, you know, I was in a groove. I would say I was in a groove. I didn't write my first book until 2007, though. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a, it, it's been a journey, just like you. It's been, um, <laughs> <laughs> although I was blogging, I, I, don't, I don't feel like there was, I guess when I look back, 2020 hindsight's everything, isn't it? Yeah. I can see that there was like a really, there was a time where things were really accelerating, but I didn't realize it until much later in the game. Mm. It's very relatable, and I love that. And I think I heard somewhere recently that creative projects are almost always like closed loops. Whereas we think, you know, if we were to look at a bar graph, it just continually goes up (laughs) over time. But that's not always the case when you're in the creative industry. It's like you take on one project and you complete it and then you start a new project and the process looks much the same as the last. Yeah. And especially in our industry, and I think this goes for artists as well as people that are supporting artists in any way, It there's no white-hot moment. I mean, there are once in a while these crazy outliers like a Maggie Rogers where Pharrell heard her song and then now she's playing Coachella and it's a year later. I mean, you see that and you're like, oh, wow. But that's really not how it happens for most mere mortals as we know <laughs> You know, it's always astounding when I do see an artist like that, and it's 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 a marvel to look at, but it's not realistic. I've been in this seminar since January, where every participant starts a community project, which has been really cool. But the other temptation there is to compare your project and how it's taking off to other people's projects, because inevitably there's a few people's whose project is just exploding, and you might still be sitting here with. 27 likes on a Facebook page or something like that going like, Hmm, I wonder if I'm going about this the wrong way, but everybody chooses a project. That's a reflection of them. And of course, depending on the niche and industry or just how you've framed the project, there's a lot of factors there. And I guess comparison is just not how you want to go about things. No, no comparison is the is the root of all evil. I'm pretty pretty sure of it. And social media certainly is not helping us in this domain, is it? It it isn't. It's just it's all too easy to look at somebody else who's really blowing up in a significant way and 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 you kind of end up analyzing. It's like I thought I was doing all the right things and based on the podcast I'm listening to, there's nothing I'm missing. But uh you just don't know. You don't know what got them to where they are. And you also don't know the, the toil or the effort behind the scenes. And, you know, all those photos they're posting from Ibiza or wherever they are, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, my, my favorite, and it's not really a favorite story because it's actually sad, but I think about one of my closest friends who at age 40 um, found out she had breast cancer mm. and she battled it and she got through it. But, and, you know, of course, her inner circle knew and her best friends knew, but the world didn't know. Hmm. And if you looked at her Instagram, there she was on holiday with her kids and, you know, doing a, her family and her career was taking off. And she was, you know, going on TV and she's a lawyer. She's not in the music industry. But from an outsider's perspective, you know, it looked like absolutely nothing was wrong. But if you really knew what was going on, you would know that she was fighting cancer, which is obviously a very intense, horrible thing to do. 
So there you have it. You never know what you're not seeing. So true. And I would be torn about that too. I'm not sure I would share that kind of thing with the world. Like you say, my inner circle or my friends might know, but I'm not sure that's the kind of thing I would reveal on social media. Exactly. And that's another, you know, that's a major choice that people make how much they'd like to reveal versus, you know, what feels appropriate for them. So you you just never know what's going on. Nope. Yeah, you really don't. Now, to ask a more generic question, although I really like that trail we've been going down, how important is publicity for musicians? And for those who don't know what it is, what is PR? So PR has changed dramatically in the many, many years since I've been doing it. But basically, the the simplest definition is PR is getting attention for yourself or from others, getting attention in the media. Now, that word media is the tricky part because... Back in the day, like 30 years ago, media meant newspapers and television and magazines and radio, and that was media. And then, of course, social media came and disrupted all of that. And now media could be getting a tastemaker to you know, tag you on Instagram, and media could be your own Twitter feed, and media could be what you create on your Facebook page, and media could be your own blog that you write. So PR has had a bit of a shift in that still standard traditional PR, however, is getting covered. And so in the world that I live in, that for an independent musician, that would mean getting your music reviewed or paid attention to on music blogs, on podcasts, and on Spotify or other playlists. Those would be the three areas that I think are the most modern definition. And then, of course, we still do have newspapers, and newspapers also have online aspects. So your newspaper might also have a website. So that could also be coverage. But that would be how I would define PR right now. Yeah, exactly. It has evolved a lot and it has changed a lot. And social media has been a disruptor in a huge way. What came to mind was a documentary I watched recently on Netflix, which is Fire, the greatest party that never happened. Oh, gosh. That's <laughs> why I couldn't look away. It's like watching a train wreck. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Just, It's so captivating that you can't actually turn it off once you get watching it. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's it, it is a good example of what sort of uh, PR or coverage you could get in the sense that you know they had social media influencers and that was a key part of their their strategy in, in getting the word out about that so there was some genius behind it it just uh it didn't extend into execution in that no. situation <laughs> no it certainly didn't and if there was a great companion movie also on netflix to watch called american meme if you haven't seen that it's fantastic it's a, a lot of um mm. huge digital celebrities telling their stories and it it's it covers everyone from Paris Hilton and the fat Jewish to to some other people who've you may or may not have heard of or seen but it 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 all goes to show you that what you see and what's real are two very very different things and it's a very important documentary to watch hmm. I'll have to check that out too and then another thing about PR or just getting media coverage, you know, that's something I've been thinking more intentionally about since starting this community project, because that's kind of part of the, com- the project parameters. And uh, 
I think I just had it in the back of my head that it's so hard to get media coverage. But then when I see the kind of projects that ultimately end up on TV, I go, oh, well, like may not necessarily be that it requires a lot. It's just that I guess on some level, the media has to find it interesting or fascinating for it to be exactly worthy. Exactly. And so back to your original question, which was when is an artist ready for PR, which we didn't get to is this is really the, the, the best question to ask, because I think there's been some bad information that's been given out, which is, you know, the minute you record something, get PR. Well, <laughs> not necessarily. And not yet. So I think that was a party line that used to be very, very popular back in the day. Like the minute that you um, had recorded something, the first thing that you were supposed to do was hire a publicist. And the publicist was supposed to go and get you coverage on that new thing. Well, now that 40,000 new things are going up on Spotify each and every single day, not all of them are going to be newsworthy yes, um, and publicizable because, you know, some are going to be massive artists, but most are going to be from small independent artists that don't have a following yet, which doesn't merit getting publicity. So this, this idea that everybody just deserves PR because they've recorded something is unfortunately where I see a lot of artists just like have it's it's just bad news it's not it's bad advice and it's not the order of things so <laughs> you know once you you do have some things out in the market once you've got a following once you've got people coming to your shows once you've got fans that's when you can start getting publicity but i often see artists put the cart before the horse i mean i had a young woman call me yesterday and she's ready for pr and i look and she has no bio on Spotify. She has 58 plays a month. She doesn't have any photo on her on her Spotify page. She has less than 200 fans on Facebook. And I was like, well, I think maybe what we should do is work on, you know, getting your, your foundation a bit stronger. And she just wasn't interested in that. She's hell-bent. She wants to hire a publicist right now. She wants to put out her new track, and that's it. And so she's going to waste thousands of dollars and she'll probably get a little bit of PR from some small blogs, but unfortunately, it's not going to get her what it is she wants, which is exactly what she needs to work on, which is getting more fans first. Um, and that's the part that I think artists don't understand so well in many cases, and they don't really know, like, a lot of this is about having to take the time to connect to people and build your fan base before you go and try to get a PR team. Yeah, and what you're talking about is kind of the grind. And it's a matter of whether you're willing to do it or not. And it might take time to build that foundation, your social media following, your website, your email list. But once you have that, uh, you can definitely leverage it for a lot more. Totally. And, I, and it, it is a grind. I mean, it, it's a grind. There's no question. Yeah, It's the hardest part of the, of the work. And I know a lot of artists get into this because they want to just make music. And that's fine. I always, I, Derek Sivers, back to him, he said something years ago. He wrote this fabulous blog post, which 
um, I hope you can put in the show notes. I'll go back and find it. Mm. But it basically says that when he started CD Baby, he went around the country and he was talking to all these artists about like marketing and promotion. And now that your CD is ready, it's CD Baby and we're distributing it for you. It's time to like really market it and get fans and get people to buy it. And he realized for half or more of the artists that he was jumping up and down on the tables with and like going to all these conferences and exhausting himself on a global scale. <laughs> they, like for them, it was enough that they just got the CD to CD baby and they were done. Yeah. Like they weren't interested in marketing and promoting and getting fans and building a mailing list and playing shows and getting a clipboard and like all the things that he was talking about. They were done. And he said, he said some really profound things in the blog post that he wrote about this, where he was like, you know, for some of you, just having the music is enough. And that's it. You're done with your journey. And just be a hobbyist. Just play a show once in a blue moon for your best friends and your family in your house, or just rehearse with your best friends in your basement. And don't try to make a career out of this. Just do it because you love to do it. Um, the way that I've boiled that down is, is, you know, some men play golf and some men play guitar. Like, <laughs> just because you play golf doesn't mean you're going to have to go and be a competitive golfer. Hmm. It means that you can, like, go and enjoy yourself and go to a new golf course with friends once a year and, I don't know, spend money on great golf equipment. You can do the same thing with your music career and you don't have to kill yourself with all the marketing and promotions and crazy if you don't like it. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think it still is that way to an extent. You know, there are definitely artists that just want to make music and keep it at a hobby level. And I always say that's fine. If that's how you want to do it, maybe at some point you'll feel like pursuing more, maybe not. And it doesn't matter. Like you, nobody should belittle you for what it is that, that you're wanting to accomplish, whether that's big or small or somewhere in between. And my friend, it's interesting because like with... Uh, what I do, oftentimes my friends don't get me because I spent a lot of time playing the local scene and getting into festival and going all around with, with my music wherever they would have me. And, and now I still play lots of guitar. I still go to rehearsals. I still play live. But a huge, uh, more significant part of my focus is creating this content that helps other musicians. And they don't get it. <laughs> there's, there's, there's just no way to kind of explain to them what this entrepreneurial journey is like, why I'm doing it. Even sharing in the vision, they, they often kind of go like, I, I don't get you. <laughs> and I just try to let them know, Hey, I'm here to help you. And, uh, if you don't need my help, that's okay too. Totally. Yeah. Another thing that I think maybe just people are confused about or at least something that I've observed is this whole thing about press releases. I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they were incredible tools for getting media attention, for getting backlinks to your website, for generating traffic and press releases still have their place, but they, they're definitely not a catch all solution and they don't do all that uh, or generate quite as much attention for you like they used to. No, no, they don't. Um, and the reason for that is, there's a misunderstanding about what a press release is. And you said it earlier in, in our talk, you said 
you're watching these projects getting on television and you, you think it's so hard to get on television, but then you realize if you have what that television station or news program is looking for, and I'm just going to make this up, but like, let's say specifically the television show is looking for something that is community-based that happens within a certain radius of you know, where the community is and lives that has an angle that's appealing, like, let's say, a charity angle or a, an angle where they're doing something good for the community. They're giving back in a way. They're doing something heartwarming. They're doing something helpful. I mean, that is a recipe to get on the 5 o'clock news, no question. Hmm. So compare that to releasing a record and writing a general press release about so-and-so sophomore album just released and they're from Toronto. <laughs> like, okay, that's not news that is going to be appealing for most news outlets. Yeah. Now, however, if it is mental health awareness month which is coming up in may and you are an artist that wrote a song that was inspired by your friend who committed suicide or attempted suicide or something that is deeply related to mental health and the song is about helping people who are suffering with mental health and you're from a specific town and you're throwing a concert to raise awareness now you've got a press release. Now you can write something that is very specific, that is timely, that affects the community, and that is absolutely perfect for local news. Mm. So it's funny because so many artists still call me today and they say, well, we just want you to write a press release and blast it, which is was very much a thing <laughs> yes. that we used to do. Um, but it is very much not a thing with music blogs. I mean, unless, of course, you have a local angle and basic copywriting is something that I've been teaching for quite a while now. I often just ask artists, which of these two is more powerful to you? Atomic penguins releases new album or atomic penguins, new metal mayhem release leaves eardrums bleeding, you know, which one would you click on? So, right. I mean, definitely when you're, when you're surfing around the internet, even when I go to read the news in the morning, Sometimes you're just, you're reading news, like legit real news. And then all of a sudden something shiny down at the bottom of the page, like you won't believe what these 10 celebrities look like today. And you almost can't resist. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> going there. You know, you're, you're, you're in that world. So if you can make exciting and interesting, catchy titles, that is some of the most important stuff that you can do for sure. Agreed. I can tell you're super passionate about PR, and I would love to spend the entire half hour just talking about that, but uh, I have some other questions to, to get to. So in this space of helping independent musicians, I've noticed there seems to be quite a few authors, and you're certainly one of them, but a book is no small undertaking, and in many cases, it's not a profit-generating machine. So to probe a little bit below the surface, why write books? Why write, you know, why record albums? I mean, I feel right. like... <laughs> because you can't help it is, is really my answer. Mm, um, it's because it's what you're called to do. Mm. I really feel that way. When I first, I never thought about writing a book. You know, my mother was an author and um, 
that was like her thing. <laughs> and I watched her and she was a New York Times bestselling author. So she was like kind of the opposite author of what I am, which is like a self-publishing, talk your, <laughs> talk your books at your next talk author, which is a totally different type yes. of author. But um, I was at a seminar. I was at a great, wonderful seminar. And I had spent a lot of money going to the seminar. It was in Palm Springs, California. I'll never forget this. This is probably 2005, six, and Brian Tracy. Do you know who Brian Tracy oh, is? Yes. Of I, course you do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think so it was for, the science of self-confidence. Like that was one of the first personal development audios I got into and it was so vital. Oh my God. So for those of you who don't know who Brian Tracy is, you just Google him and you'll get a sense. He looks like your grandfather. If you are a daughter of the Mayflower, like he's like this, white, older. He always has a suit and tie. He's very mm -hmm. fit. Mm -hmm. And he talks very fast. He talks like this. He talks very, very fast. And he's going to tell you how to change your life. And he's going to tell you to change your life very, very fast. So he's, <laughs> he, he got up on that. the He's really fast. And he's like, we're going to talk about your mindset. If you have problems with your parents, just stop. You don't need to have those problems anymore. Those are problems in the past. Like he's, he's just like, like this. And he's like got all these like really cutting edge ideas. But they're coming out of like this older white-haired dude that looks like he should be the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. It's yes. like so confusing. <laughs> but he's brilliant. He he's is. absolutely brilliant. And he's incredibly um, motivating. And he's been doing it a very, very long time. And you just cited one of your favorite books. One of my favorite books that he ever wrote was a, was a time management book called Eat the Frog. Ah, yes. Which... Um, is incredible but you know he wrote earn what you're really worth and the psychology of achievement and he's just a genius guy however what he did that day was he stood up on the stage and he did his whole talk and i don't even remember what the talk was about i'm sure it was about success and how to you know to manage your time and all the things you need but at the very very end of his talk he said you all have to write your book hmm Every single one of you has a book inside of you. Guaranteed. And I sat in my seat, you know, and it, you know, these big conferences, you're like one of a thousand people in a giant room in a hotel in Palm Springs. And it's, it is what it is, fluorescent lighting and all. And I just started sobbing. Hmm. Part of the sobbing was a complete resistance <laughs> <laughs> to going, no, I don't want to write a book. But then part of it was a knowing that I really, um, I really did. So, you know, people that write books when they're forcing themselves to do it, like I get up at six in the morning and I write my pages, <laughs> you know, I'm not quite sure that that's how a really good book gets written. Yes. I think, you know, I don't know my book. I don't want to say it was channeled because that's a little too woo woo. But when I was finally ready to write my book, my book just came out of me and it just, it, it was a really, um, it was a big undertaking for sure, but it also, just like I hope it feels to record music, it's natural. I don't think you get up at five in the morning like I'm going to record, you know. Like I don't think that that's the. I don't think I don't I don't know many musicians. I mean, I do know a lot of songwriters that do have that discipline. Um, that especially the Nashville type of songwriters that are like doing a lot of collaboration and they need to come up with a lot of different writing ideas and lyric ideas. Okay. Get up early and do your morning papers. I get it. 
but I don't know that that's how you write an album or that's how you write a book. Mm. Um, it's a different type of discipline. Um, so yeah, the, the first book I wrote just kind of flowed right out of me and I printed it myself. Bob Baker, one of our other early, early, oh, early amazing yeah. men in the industry that helped point everyone in the right direction. He, he advised yes. me how to publish my book and I did it. There was a spelling mistake on every page, which <laughs> an independent musician who is also an English teacher <laughs> um, called me and he said, um, I've just corrected your book. Would you like me to send it to you? And it was basically like getting my homework when I was a kid. There was like a red mark on every page. Um, so, you know, I corrected and continued and kept going. And here we are so many books later. And I love writing books. I think books are a, a a bigger expression. Yes, blogging is one thing, but writing books is something else. It, it's a, it's a much, it's just like, you know, do you put out singles or do you put out albums? You know, one thing is a bigger concept. Mm. Yeah. I think it's just coming from a place of inspiration and I totally know what you mean. It's like, sometimes you don't even know what you're writing, but it just comes out of you anyway. And I have a few drafts like that, that I still don't know if I'm ever going to use them, but they were still really cool when I, they were coming from somewhere when I wrote them. And uh, Bob Baker was actually on episode one of the podcast. So I still follow along with a little bit of what he's up to. And it's always, you're right. He really did point the way for many of us. It's cool. This, yeah. Yeah. And this year I'm looking to publish 10 to 12 books and I've launched two to this point. So I'm wondering if you enjoy the writing process and if there's any tricks or hacks you've come across that allow you to be more efficient with the process. I'm not much of a hacker, but um, I really do. And it's funny because I didn't write my last book this way, but I, but I have in the past. I do love dictation. You know, it's pretty amazing how you can just make a voice memo and talk and it writes for you. Mm. Yes. Um, so I find that to be really helpful, especially if you have, if you're trying to do like some free association or just have some ideas that aren't sussed out, can be much easier to do that than bang away at a typewriter. I also still do the old school pen to paper. I love to write mm. cursive because I learned how to write cursive as many people my age did back in the day. I heard they don't even really teach that anymore, which is so sad, but yes. I write cursive in a in a typical comp comp notebook, you know, the black and white marble notebook with the lines. Mm -hmm. And I, I tend to love to write pieces of the book that way and then you can dictate them or type them up. And so mm -hmm. things end up in many different forms. But pen to paper, I like to sit in inspiring places. Like I have a really beautiful garden in my house. I can sit outside when it starts getting warm in the spring and write in write in the sunshine or write at a coffee shop or you know just write in a place that isn't your desk or your home office or work it's much better to write also when i go away on vacation i love to sit on the beach sit with the ocean i tend to do a lot of writing hmm. when i'm not when i'm not in my work days yeah, I think pen to paper is exactly how John Maxwell's been writing his many, many books. <laughs> so I can see that being effective, too. I think there's just something about pen to paper. And I was looking up a stat as well, because uh, I think what Brian Tracy makes says says makes so much sense. There's various stats out there, but one of them is 90% Americans want to write a book. 
and how many of those will not be published? Uh, many, I'm sure the majority will never be published uh, because we don't put the pen to paper. Right. Uh, is there a course, a book, or some other project you're fired about creating right now? And if so, what is it? So I'm in the middle of creating Labs, which is my new education series. And it's been really fun because it's a collaborative effort. And so it's one one a month. And it's a different topic that I think is helpful for people in the music business. And um, I some of them I teach on my own, but most of them I have a guest that is my co-teacher. And the labs are designed to not be um, to they're they're to, to, they're supposed to be incredibly focused. So the idea is like there's plenty of courses where you can um, get on board and and take like you know twelve months of coaching or like fifty seven thousand videos. Like I'm trying to make it so you get in, you get out, and you get exactly what you need in a very short amount of time. So the labs are three classes. The first class is 45 minutes, so is the second class, and the third class is 90 minutes. And they drill down very efficiently into a specific area. So lab one was all about how to get your own PR. Lab two is about Facebook advertising. Lab three is about how to release your music with ease. Lab four is level up your email game. Lab five taught by one of my clients who went from brand new to a hundred percent self-made self-sustaining independent musician in 18 months called mobilize your fan army. Hmm. Lab six is booking successful shows and tours and it goes on and on like that. So, um, I'm just finishing up lab nine this month. It's crowd start, which is finally I brought my book, of how to do crowdfunding to life. And that's been amazing. That's one with just me. But next month I've got um, Randy and Jason who wrote Making Money with Music and the Indie Band Survival Guide. They're going to teach three weeks on making money, just how to look at different income streams around your music. So I'm really excited for Lab 10. Mm, All very important topics for sure. I think... We've had a great chat, and so I'm going to skip the boilerplate questions. I think we've got a pretty good idea of what some of your challenges have been, what some of your victories have been, as well as some of the books that uh, you've delved into. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to ask for a little bit of feedback, and I can, I mean, you're only going to be able to give me the feedback to the extent that I'm able to give you information, but uh, with my current business, Uh, I'm just always open to hearing what others have to say about what I'm up to because it helps me see what I'm doing from a different perspective. And currently I get about 15,000 views per month on my website. I'm getting 110 to 120 people signing up for my email list monthly. That results in a little under 20 sales per month, although relatively small sales. I've had people share with me that the only thing missing now is a demonstrated impact in the lives of musicians. Uh, But from your perspective, do you see that my business is on track and uh, is there anything missing to make it more powerful? I do think you're on track. I mean, half of the people I talk to have no idea how to even look at statistics. So that's, (laughs) you know, it's tremendous that you know this is how it's building. And it sounds like in your case, 
slow and steady wins the race. You know, you mm. again, like it's so tempting, like take my course and I'll teach you how to get 10,000 people on your mailing list in five <laughs> minutes. You know, you hear these things and you're like, really? Okay. I don't know that that's necessarily a thing. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you are doing that. And that is interesting. You know, that it is true that unless you are having an impact, unless there are people who can come back to you and say, you taught, it's, you taught me how to do this, and because I did this, something really shifted for me. I mean, I think that is something that if you could begin to get some data from the people that you're, that you're touching and moving and inspiring, you could really begin to, to show a shift. But I think there's always um, there's always a interesting um, issue with helping people, and you know Brian Tracy thinks ninety percent of all people want to write a book. Well, what percentage of people actually do write a book? Um, You know, I had an artist that we wrote a plan for, and our plans, unlike your plans of, of really thinking that plans should be one page. Our plans are 150 pages <laughs> that we write for artists. So they're like brutally long and painful and involved. And, you know, I sent her a plan in December and now it's April and she's hysterical on the phone with me going crazy, screaming that, you know, the, the plan was too long and there was too much in it. And, you know, her album's coming out and she just, she read it once and it was so overwhelming and she just made up this whole story that she just wants to be overwhelmed. Hmm. And, you know, she's screaming at me and I'm like, girl, this is not my problem. Like I spelled out exactly what it is you need to do in December and that was four months ago and you've done none of it. Now your album is coming out and you're flipping out. You know, if you had just read 20 pages per month, that's less than a page a day. Yeah. You might not be hysterical and overwhelmed right now. So, you know, half of that is on her, but half of that is on me. Like if you deliver someone something and they can't figure out how to get it into play and how to make it work, you know, part of our job as the educator, as the person that's providing the solution, well, it's not part of your job, but the question is, do you want to make it part of your job? Is it part of your job, David, to call that artist, to check in with them, to find out, mm. are you putting the pedal to the metal? Are you, you know, what has resonated with you and why and how can I help you get it to resonate a little bit more? Mm. But, you know, I think that's that's where you might have some success is like when you can drill down with people and really, you know, it always amazes me like – some people come and they coach with me and they spend a lot of money with me holding their hands and we do their PR and we do their marketing, we do their branding and we do their social media. And yes, we move the needle and things move well and they spend a lot of money in order for that to happen. That's plan A. But I've also had, I mean, that's client A, right? But I've also had client B who comes up to me at a conference and I've literally never met them and I don't even know their name. And they say something like, I've never even purchased one of your books. I just read your blogs and I did three things that you said. And I mean, I once met an artist Mm. who said, you once said on one of your earlier blogs, be a shark in a sea of tuna. (laughs) And I think I got that from T. Harv Eker, who was a huge mentor to me back in the day. Right. And this artist heard me say that 
realized that he was just another hip hop artist in New York and whatever, he went to Japan and he literally became a shark in a sea of tuna and his whole career opened up. Like he was the only rapper. He was like the only black man, half the people had ever seen like everyone. He started learning Japanese. He got really got into the culture there and created an amazing career for himself. And I meet him four years later and he's like, thank you. That was all because of you. So, you know, you don't even know how much you're affecting people. And even when you like send an email out to your newsletter and be like, Hey, can you all send me a testimonial? Like people don't even sometimes realize how much you've helped them until, like Mm. I said, you know, like you said about your career until the loops are closed Mm. and those loops can take a long time to close. But my advice for you in your journey is, and I think the most powerful thing that any of us can do, and this goes for artists Ask your people how, you know, you know, when you're driving on the highway and you see the little sign on the truck, it says, how's my driving? Yes. <laughs> it's that. It's like, uh. if you can ask your people, how am I doing? Talk to me. Give me a sign. Tell me how it's going for you. And yes, yeah, some of it might be what you're teaching them, but you might learn something, you know, completely different that you didn't even know you were going to learn about them that might inspire you for your next book to put a whole other section in that you didn't even think to do because you started asking for feedback that wasn't necessarily just feedback about you. So that's my, that would be my, my one piece of advice. It sounds to me like everything is going really well and slow and steady does win the race. I know this because I've been in business for 23 years and no, I don't have one big giant artist that I can wave in front of you and brag about. <laughs> I didn't do that for one person. Right. I did a little thing for thousands of people. I love that. Yeah. And I think there probably is no magic bullet to the whole thing. It's just sticking with the process. So thank you so much. That's a fantastic and well thought out answer. Thank you so much for your time and generosity, Ariel. Is there anything else I should have asked? No, this has been a great chat. I love, I mean, I listened to your podcast, so I, I knew what was coming. And, you know, unlike, <laughs> tell me how you came up with, you know, you don't do that. And I love no. that. And I think that's what's, that's what's great about listening to you is you get, you get in the crevices where other people don't. I'm glad you noticed that. That's very intentional. I try not to ask too many straightforward questions and I'm more interested in this story. Um, if you use that as your metric, you can probably go back into my archives and figure out which is the least favorite interview I've done. <laughs> there was one with no story, but uh, it's it's still worth doing. It's not like it's not worth doing. So great. Excellent. Thank, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast.